Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello, listeners. I can fully confirm for you that this season is 100% over and finished. And if we're all being honest, thank goodness for that. It's a year that's been like a battle from start to finish, with Fulham's initial cavalry charge at the Premier League under Slavisi Akanovic unfortunately undermined by a lack of defensive metal and falling upon a wall of better drilled sides after a capitulation on the south coast. A follow-up attempt from Italian field marshal Claudio Ranieri was badly mismanaged after a Roman refused to actually look at which of his troops were good at what, instead resolutely sticking with his defensive strategies, even when it became clear that they were very much not working. And a late resurgence from warrior captain Scott Parker was not enough with the damage already done. The Toon Army stuck a blade through what was left of Fulham's pride on Saturday and tonight we'll take a look at the wreckage and see if there's anything left to salvage. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host this evening ready to wade through the spoils of war to give you the breakdown like a West London John Milton. This season was very much paradise lost. And joining me are two seasoned weathered battle analysts as always. First up, the statistical surgeon, looking back on the carcass of this season and picking it apart with equal parts, percentile points and passion, is George Singer. Hello mate, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And as ever, I'm joined by the professor, a modern day football toting answer to Sun Tzu, but with more European continental knowledge, it's Ben Jarman. Hi Jack, I don't know how I feel about being described as seasoned in the first and weathered. weathered. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all a bit seasoned and weathered after. Well, but like, this season I feel has taken the kind of the metal and the shine of all of us if, if we're being perfectly honest. Yeah, I've, uh, I've grown a couple of wrinkles in my forehead. So I've got my bleak. first grey hairs coming through as well. Mm, this is what yeah. you've done to us, Fulham. This is where we are. That show Nick McNeil that's done that <laughs> Right, Jums, let's have some three-word reviews. Okay, cool. We've got loads of them this week because, as usual, when we lose, we get loads of these. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Uh, Thanks, everyone. Yeah, cheers, guys. Sticking Thanks with us. Compounding our yeah, misery. Yeah. Uh, we will start with uh, a big friend of the pod. Uh, we'll start with Richard Bamba, a.k.a. Soul Bamba, who said, review, regroup, return. And then nice. another friend of the pod, uh, Tom Greatrix, who said on the beach uh, with a couple of nice emojis. Uh, we had a lot along the lines of hallelujah, it's over from David Kettlehake. And I think uh, the final one, which suits it all, is from Reese Benjamin. He says, thank you, next. Thank you, next. Very good. Anything to get an Ariana Grande reference in, I think, is, is probably a good thing I in general. Right. Just before we get going, this is a call to download the Labrooks app and play one, two, three. As you know, Fulhamish is back for this season by Labrooks. One, two, three is a free game where you have to project three correct Premier League scores. Get all three right and win £100. Get just one right and win a free £2 bet and two correct for a free £5 bet. I imagine this will start again next season, but terms and conditions do apply. Right. Toon Army, Newcastle. Uh, someone described this on Twitter, and I'm really sorry, I haven't worked out who it is, as the most even 4-0 they've ever seen. That's Billy Murphy who said that. Well, there we are. Thanks, Billy. Was that your kind of take on it too, Jumps? Yeah, I think it was, actually. If you look at all the stats and, and the way that we played, it was actually a fairly even game from both sides. And I think this whole result and the way that we are saying it's a very even game by two evenly contested sides, but yet one of them has won 4-0... I think it's probably a testament to how our season's gone in that we are such a naive club uh, uh, and a group of players at the moment in that 
They get tricked into buying little movements from other players. They get caught in behind often. And I think it's just naivety and a, a complete lack of experience from most of our players at that Premier League level. You'd hope 38 games in there. It might change, but obviously not. George, this is going to be my next point. Is that just a sum up of the season that we played all right, probably matched them just about, you know, goal for get, you know, word for word, game for game and, and managed to lose 4-0. Is that is that it? That's, that's how it feels. I mean, if you look at the, the shot numbers, the expected numbers, which I, I tweeted out earlier today, I think we had pretty much even amount of shots, something like 14 each and expected goals wise. I mean, it was, it was again about 1.5 expected goals each. So, just looking at those shot numbers, you would have assumed it was a pretty open game, a uh, pretty even game. Sorry, but you know, clearly Newcastle put their put their shots away pretty well. It's it's really disappointing when you go back and watch all those goals because looking at all of them, you know, they they're all either individual mistakes or pieces which could have been picked up by better coaching. You know, they're all watching all of them back. You know, you don't look at any of them and think, oh, you know, there's nothing we could do about that. They're all very preventable goals, and that's you know just what we've seen throughout the season. One thing I'd like to ask you, George, is you quite often look at the stats, etc. But have you had a chance to have a look at the average shot positions for Fulham over the last few games? Because I've seen your tweets and a lot of our shots are coming from outside the box and from range, which suggests that something needs to change. And also you, pr- you pr- produce a very nice passing wagon wheel from every single player for the last game and there's a worrying trend that every single player passes inwards. Yes, so um I guess on on the first piece throughout the season it's it seems to have varied a bit and I think Sherla was one of the the worst ones for this just popping shots from outside the box and I think it's it's hard to tell whether Fulham shoot outside the box more than other teams. You know, I haven't seen anything to suggest they particularly do. At the end of the day, you know, it's finding the balance between you know, a long shot in the right situation can be the right thing to do. I mean, look at someone like, you know, Vincent Company the other day. He had plenty of space. That was definitely he was... the wrong thing to do. <laughs> I was having this discussion the other day. Like, I know it goes in, but like, it's your centre back from there. And, and, and they said it on the commentary at the time. They were like, if you're going to give the ball to anyone to shoot in that space... They would have handed the ball to Vincent Company and gone, go on then. I reckon even Edison, you'd probably be like, no, I don't fancy it. He can hit an absolute bullet. Whereas you're not yeah. expecting that from Company. True. But then again, you know, any any player, any professional player who's given that much space, given momentum to drive forward, yeah. you know, he's heading in the right direction. He's given plenty of space. Those are the the right opportunities to to have a proper goal. Um, you know, we've seen a, we've seen a mix of, of shooting and I think it's, as we've seen kind of moving on to the wagon wheel, which showed that you know, Mitrovic very few passes and it's it's quite often we see that he gets a bit isolated, can drop back and go for those shots from deeper, which I, I don't think he's necessarily, you know, relatively bad at that. But, you know, normally if you have a shot from outside the box, it's about 5% chance of going in max. Um, but yeah, moving, moving on to the other piece. So the, you know, the wagon wheels and how players are passing. I mean, to me, it shows... It's a lot of crosses coming in from our fullbacks, and you especially see centre backs quite often will pass outwards to the fullbacks. Mm-hmm. You know that seems to be a really common, uh, common play. You know centre backs out to fullbacks who will push up and cross in. Um, I think probably what it's what it's shown in this game and and the other game as well is sometimes our our fullbacks do and sorry our, our wingers do get a little bit isolated, and you're seeing you know very different types of wingers. You're seeing bubble coming in playing a really central role and almost playing like a, a playmaker and some of the other wings like Sessegnon pushed far further out so I think it, it 
it depends on the players that we've got there. But it, it, it feels like we do need to find a bit more of a balance to bring the strikers into the game a bit more. I, I mean, I, I want to talk about the game a little bit, but on the whole, I think that this is just a summary of the season. We're, not, we're going to do a full season review at a later date, but it feels almost like such a an elegy almost for exactly what this year's been about. We were okay without being particularly incisive at any really given point. We we probably didn't really look like we were about to score for the majority of the game. And and while, yeah, the XGs weren't too far away, you always felt that Newcastle had a goal in them. There was a mistake in 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 Fulham and, and that and so it proved. So it's kind of one of those ones where does this feel like an opportunity where we need to just sit down, regroup and, and work out what we need? And and if so, I think that's maybe where we go next is where do this Fulham side need to regroup in order to mount a successful bid in the championship next season? Ben, I'm going to go to you first. For me, um, I think George's wagon wheel has, uh, has pushed home a few home truths to to me personally because I, I thought that perhaps our wingers were one of our best areas. But what's become painstakingly obvious is that Actually, we need some wingers with a lot of pace that offer a lot of aggression to get in behind like we had under Slavisa. And I, I get that the style of plays differ and that the platform of which you play is differ. The Premier League is hugely different from the Championship. But I believe that had we had more pace in the team and more of an ability to switch our style of play or, or be more imaginative in our style of play, then we would have been far better off this year. Um, I think... Also, George's wagon wheel. We'll have to get you to share it out on Fulhamish, George, because it doesn't make any sense if we just talk about wagon wheels all the time. People start getting hungry. It's just that it's like we always pass inside. We're such a telegraphed, predictable team that I think we need some more creativity in that midfield. We clearly need pace and aggression out wide, and the centre halves need to change as well. Something that's come, you know, become very obvious to me is how much we relied on Ryan Fredericks' bursts down the right last season and I know it's a championship and it's a different league and you can get away with different things a little bit more but it's become very obvious that we don't have that anymore and that kind of flying fullback that's obviously you know so key to the way that Fulham are trying to play and it does interest me because there's a lot of calls for Steven Sessegnon to play from you know from a lot of people and, and rightly or wrongly we've, we've seen only small amounts of him and he has been good in those times but he's very much not a flying fullback he's very much not a you know someone that's going to bomb down the channel right and left all day he is quite reserved has played a lot as a centre-back and, and I think that that's what we're crying out for is a little bit, I think you're right, Ben, pace, aggression on the wings and someone who's going to look to actually get around the strikers and get people in because when Babel came on, we looked so much more dangerous and we're not going to have Ryan Babel next season, you know, we, we assume after his goodbye messages. But yeah, th- is that what we need to bring in, George, if, if, in your opinion? I think what we've what we've shown probably this season and definitely in, in the Newcastle game, we're still really comfortable holding the ball. I mean, we we had kind of over 60% of possession. You know, we're we're really comfortable by, you know, slow build-ups, passing it through the defence, through the midfield. Tom Kearney, I, I quite like him in his more advanced role. I think he's doing better up there. But, you know, for for Tom Kearney really to, to be at his best, he needs he needs outlets. And I think you're you're exactly right. A couple of things we're missing are the kind of players like Fredericks, who, you know, we saw so many times during our promotion run, a through ball to him, he'd do a low cross cut inside for the right player to be there at the right time, who more often than not was Steffi Hansen. And it feels like with the personnel we've moved to, we've lost we've lost a few of our attacking options. 
you know, it, it feels like the team don't really know the best way to craft and create attack. And I, I think a, a fair por- portion of that blame has to go to different managers. If we'd had stuck with not necessarily the same manager, but the state, the same style of football throughout the season, the players would have had time to learn, time to adapt, you know, time to really build in a style of play and work out how you create attacks with that. I think going from Slavisa to Ranieri and then back to almost a, another Slavisa, yeah, you know, the, the players don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, mm. it's extremes, isn't it? And I think what you said in the, in the first, one of your very first sentences on that point was, that we like a slow build-up. And I don't think I've seen a slow build-up work in the Premier League in modern time ever since we've been out of the out of the Premier League and yep. into the Championship. I don't, I can't remember a team that has methodically built up from like compartment to compartment, from third to third, as slowly as we do. And I think it just allows so many teams just to set up and then counter high and wide. And we've seen it 38 <laughs> games this season that... Teams just do exactly the same over and over again. Is that something to worry about? Because, I mean, I've been thinking similarly in that I think we can go down to the championship and play like that. I think we can play more methodically. We can work our way. Because we've got technically quality players, we'll be able to work our way around teams, especially if the majority of this core group stay where they are. The problem is that if we get promoted doing that again, are we going to be in exactly the same position when we go up? You you can stick to that as a core philosophy and you can stick to that as passing football but you need to adapt it and you need to be a realistic and I think that's where that's something we really struggle to do and I feel that's a bit of a naivety from the people at the top of the club just thinking you could play the same way and create the same output and I think we saw we could use the same you know amount of possession we consistently saw 50 60 percent possession but we really struggled to create the chances and too often you know we ended up kind of feeling frustrated bringing lots of men forward. And that's where teams like Bournemouth or those more direct counter-attacking teams really punished us. So I think this is where, and, you know, maybe I potentially feel a little bit concerned with having someone relatively experienced like Scott Parker paired with someone still relatively inexperienced with Tony Khan. Can they make the right footballing decisions to help tweak and bring in the right players and think progressively going forward? You know, I, I think absolutely we can do the same and I expect us to try and do the same, get promoted the same way again. But if we do that, we need to be planned to have a more pragmatic and realistic, perhaps more direct approach if and when we come back up. We we can look at players that are going to offer something. And, and, and I think the one that keeps coming up, and I'm not saying right or wrong, is Abubakar Kamara. Obviously, uh, a player that splits opinion in the fan base, like, like few others, I think. Um, obviously, he has physical quality not so much technical quality although we did see Slavisa manage to harness some of that in, in a quite an effective role he provides pace and power for all of his you know and I was among his biggest critics and we there are massive questions to answer about his attitude uh, and his kind of place within the squad but on the flip of all of those things and I'm not saying to bring him back he did offer pace and power and maybe the point is that we need someone like that who's going to provide those kind of physical qualities potentially with a tad more technical ability and who is going to work in the squad as as someone that fits in is that you know fair I I think so and if you look you know take the man away and look just as a footballer he's got a very different skill set to any of the rest of our players and if you look at the other similar options we had this year of those, you know, not quite striker, but in that attacking midfield role of Kearney, Vieto, Schurler, all, you know, 
style, you know, style-wise, have a lot of similarities there. All kind of fairly technical, good on the ball, good at finding little pockets of space. But do they have the physical physical ability? You know, probably not. And this is where I think, especially for a long championship season, we need those different options. We need the ability to play slightly different styles of football because we that we will come up against teams who will play a back five, sit really deep. And if we don't have the players with pace who can run past, make runs and disrupt, we're going to really struggle. So whilst, you know, you can say what you want about the... Uh, you know the the person himself. He's he's certainly got a lot of qualities, Abu. And if we don't bring him back, and at this point, I think it's unlikely he'll come back. I really wouldn't be surprised if we try and get a similar player in his mould of kind of pure brutal pace. I know Mitrovic was excellent in the championship, and he's been good on the whole in, in the Premier League. He's very much one of the players who's come out with the most credit. Something that does worry me, and something I think was really apparent in the game on Sunday, was the fact that his pace makes it very hard to press high. And you saw in the second half, especially when Babel came on, Babel would go on a run, he'd take the ball with him, he, he was direct and trying to hit those kind of channels. And by the time Mitrovic caught up with him, he'd already lost the ball mm. because it took so long for Mitrovic to, to get forward. Mm. And it might be part of the fact that Fulham are now a little bit more reactive than they were when you know when we have so so much possession. It's easier for him to stay in the final third and actually, you know, be about in the box. But I am slightly concerned by his lack of mobility. Well, you said this yourself in that in that build up there that when you have the ball so much and you become a focal point for a team that can boss the game, you don't really necessarily have to move that much. Um, to be effective but when you're in a team that is reactive and it, for a lot of the time it's under the cosh it's very very hard to have that impact if you don't have that pace and power that a lot of the strikers in the Premier League do we had we, I think we went back on this a couple of podcasts ago when it was Jack and Jarm's episode one which was basically <laughs> like looking at Rondon versus Mitrovic and the impact that both of them had on their respective teams this year and you look at someone like Rondon, who isn't the fastest, but he can close the, yeah. the ball. He can get possession back and he can be effective for those cutbacks and can also act as a focal point. Whereas Mitrovic, unfortunately, to our detriment, we found that he can't press as high. He cannot keep up with play that often. But in the first few games under Slav, when we had a lot of possession, he was, that was when he flourished. Um, obviously, he, he had quite a good goal-scoring start to the season. And... When we saw Ranieri came in, come in and play a more elongated style of football that totally isolated Mitrovic, you didn't see him firing. He's firing slightly again on Scott Parker, but he needs people in and around him because his game is to hold up and flick on and create that little incisive pass. And unfortunately for, for us at the minute, it's just not working. But I can see that if we go back down a level and we maintain that philosophy and we get some players in and around him, that he would be effective again. But unfortunately, I think we're at a point where he's probably going to go. I think the the problem is that we. I think he will be massively effective if he was to stay with us next season in the Championship. I would worry, though, if we went up again, are we going to be in exactly the same position? Because actually, it's almost impossible to play with a slow striker when you don't dominate the ball. And a lower half Premier League team very rarely dominates the ball in the majority of their games. And is that going to mean that unless Mitrovic is playing for a top half side who look to control the game, is he ever going to be as effective as he is in the championship in the Premier League? No, I, I personally, I don't think so at all. If uh, We said this again, like you look at the, the, the way you finish in the Premier League is basically how fast your strikers are, in the, especially in the bottom half. You look, at, you look at Huddersfield, you look at us, and then Brighton, who've got Glenn Murray, all of them, 
well, majority of them have gone down and Brighton have survived by the skin of their teeth, unfortunately. Well, fortunately for them. Yeah. Um, if, if you're looking at the coming down and then coming back up again, it, like, it has to be, we have to focus so heavily on transitions because outside of that top six, I can't think of a team other than us that want to use the ball as heavily as we do. And if you really want to be using the, Leicester, the ball... Maybe. Maybe, yeah, but that's only since Rogers has come in because under Pure, they weren't exactly fluid. No. But I do get your point in that no real team can use the ball or has the ability to use the ball as like a top six team does and like we try to. So I think if we did come back up, it'd see a, a big change in style of play. But again, I, that, that raises the question, can Scotty and Tony Khan firstly get us back up and can they secondly transition into a style of play that's going to make us survive in the Premier League. Okay, well, we're going to talk about Scott Parker and what he brings to the table as the permanent manager just after the break. Don't go anywhere. Fulhamish has teamed up once again with Beer52 to offer you guys a free crate of craft beer. Just go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and all you need to do is pay the postage and packaging, which is $5.95 and you get a free crate of eight delicious craft beers from all around the world. There's no minimum commitment. You can just buy the free case, try the beers and see what you think. And if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel anytime. So go to beer52.com forward slash Fulham and claim your free case today. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello. And George Singer. Yo, yo. And it's time to talk about the new gaffer. We have not had a podcast since Scott Parker was appointed permanent Fulham manager. I'd like to get your kind of initial thoughts. Were you, you know, pleased, somewhere in the middle, disappointed with what we've done, Ben? Uh, for me, it's like, I was really pleased to see Scotty being named manager of Fulham on a permanent basis. Uh, I think the thing that intrigues me most is the contract length. Um, I think for me, this is a clear indication that Tony and Shahid are a little bit wary of maybe getting their fingers burnt on another manager on a slightly longer contract. So I think it's also given them a chance to, if God forbid that next season doesn't start in a manner that we need it to, that unfortunately Scott can walk. But I think we've seen enough from him in in these past handful of games to basically understand that Parker's trying to implement a philosophy and a playing style and more importantly an identity back into Fulham where it was eroded under a certain Italian who cannot be named on this podcast ever again. So I think there are, there are huge benefits to appointing Scotty. A lot of the players massively in support of him. We saw that all across social media and I think they'll want to work for him. Um, obviously there does become a point where it becomes a bit of the odd going to socialise about it. When does it stop becoming a motivational tool and when does it start becoming a point where players are actually looking for insights and how to win games so I'm pretty sure that Scotty's got it in his locker to provide enough in-depth analysis because we've seen it before as a good coach at all levels so I'm really happy with the appointment just can never get too carried away when something like this happens when you get an inexperienced manager in a very tough league George what was your kind of thoughts on it yeah, I mean, somewhere in the middle probably for me. Um, I think the bits that I really like, he's talking a lot about philosophy, which is something we've discussed many times here before and something, you know, unfortunately we definitely lost after, you know, he who must not be named. Um, and I think obviously 
coming in as a coach and working his way up slowly you know obviously he's he's clearly got a good working relationship with the Khans which I think is important because you know over time and time again we heard of these clashes between Slavisa and Tony and you know who were the right players to sign and who weren't so I'm really hoping going forward these guys are going to be on the uh, on the same page and working together I mean my concern is just his lack of experience and I think already you know, it's it's maybe harsh to jump on his back straight away, but some of the goals we conceded against Newcastle, a few set-piece goals, which are really disappointing to see. Like the first Shelby's goal, he was in acres of space and he was inside yeah. the box. Like that's that's something that a, you know, if you're a, you know, a high-quality coach who really knows what they're doing, you know, you, you wouldn't see that under them. And we saw it again with Cher, who came in for his header pretty much unmarked, you know, it, that screams of kind of, you know, the inexperience of a head coach who could, you know, more experienced guy could pick that up and work on that. Or, or just bad defending, which is something uh, yeah. we've been guilty of all season under three coaches, one of which was known for his exceptional defensive now. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think I think the goals we conceded, there was a mix of bad defending, like the second one where Cyrus Christie kind of fell over, really. It was really poor defending from him. But the first and the third goal particularly, no, that didn't really feel like bad defending. That felt like the players weren't instructed to be in the right positions. And I think that's where Scott has got to, you know, really quickly look and try and plug those gaps. Because if you make a few of those mistakes in the championship, drop points quickly, it's really difficult to, to yeah, make your way back up. It's the consistency, isn't it, to survive at football at any level, especially the top two levels, you have to be consistent. Um, we've seen three exemplary performances from Scott where in every single one of them he identified a weak point of the opposition and went for it. The Everton game, he went for Jagielka. At the Bournemouth game, he realised that their fullbacks went up quite high and that their midfield can be at times very easy to play through. So he sort of crowded them out. But there are games, like you say, on the Newcastle one where players aren't where they need to be. And it's that consistency that he needs to bring to his managerial style Either he needs to expand his backroom staff a little bit more or he needs to scout harder. But yeah, he just needs to bring that consistency back. I like the fact that he's brought in the coach from Tottenham Under-18s with him, Matt Mm. Wells. Released Alfie. Unbelievable. Sorry, Sorry. Alfie, you know, we're big fans. But, (laughs) you know, it seems to be that he's building a team there that's young, dynamic. They've still got an old hand in Stuart Gray there. You know, his role at the club no one's ever really defined if we're being perfectly honest but Defensive you know guru, he seems to have added something back and look I don't know about Stuart Gray's character and I don't know about him and, and, and really there's a lot about what went on in the summer that confuses me as to why he ended up leaving but you know he's back now for, for, for better or for worse and it seems to have done something in relation to, to the first team squad um, I, I think that having brought in kind of young, dynamic people around him, you'd hope that Fulham are looking to put in some sort of, you know, long-term plan. If this comes off, then, you know, we, we could be looking at a manager that could do a serious stint at, at Fulham. And and if you look at someone like Eddie Howe, if you had, you know, if you get someone like that, then suddenly you've got, you know, they both have that kind of geography teacher vibe. We, we're all in. But, but you know, I wrote an article on this last week, as you know, um, it's called Parker Better, Faster, Stronger, which I was really pleased with. Good name. Um, Very good name. And, it, you know, it talks about the ups and downs of, of this. And in the ups bits, I basically put on the first of all, he got rid of the Parker curse. Which was which was really starting to worry people, I think. And I was like, once you get into people worrying about superstitions, you're never in a really particularly good place. Um, 
the players seem to like him. All the players have spoken out, including people like Ryan Babel, who've obviously had long careers, and he was like, I'm sure that your philosophy is going to get better and better, which is a good sign, I think, on the whole. Um, he seems to have a good rapport with, with the group of lads. that, And if he can convince people, like if part of Kearney staying, for example, was that he was convinced that Scotty was going to get the, the job full time. Part of why Steph Johansson's contract has been triggered, I imagine, is that Scott has spoken to him and been like, I want you to be part of this squad next season. He seems to have a really good relationship with Angisa. Um, which is something mm-hmm. I, I noticed, and he always goes to him. He's almost the first, the first player he always goes to in the in the, in the end of every game, uh, and I think that's a good thing because I think Agüero could be a real core of our side next season, and he's learned under a lot of managers. This is so obviously in terms of who he's managed, coached under. You've got Pochettino, Jukanovic, and Ranieri, who are uh, three quite different managers in in many regards, but two of which are you know attacking four three three players, and someone else who's you know Ranieri who should be have coached him at least nothing but defensive now so, and you did see when the players when the play when Ranieri left the players were like it wasn't working but you've made me a better player uh, and I think that's kind of something that we often forget in the kind of furore of how bad it ended that a lot of those players came out and were like I did learn it just wasn't right and and you know but under also he 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 played under Mourinho, Vias Boas, mm. Capello, Hodgson, Kerbishley. There, there's a lot of managers there with a lot of different styles, and he would have picked up things from all of those. And there was a really good interview on Sky with Jamie Redknapp, where he went through the different managers he's worked under and what they'd all taught him about about being a manager. And I think that that kind of thing's important. There are drawbacks, you know, having an inexperienced manager in a really tough league is is, is hard. And if he doesn't get off to the right start, I think that Fulham will be in trouble and th- there's the Kit Simons spectre isn't there that I think that's the way I'd put it we, we've we've got burned from having a caretaker manager who was put in by heart not head at one point in the not so distant past and that hangs over it a little bit I think if, if you agree George yeah I'd, I'd say so I think we I think now he's he's coming it to me it doesn't feel I think there is an element to heart overhead here um but not as strongly not, as I yeah, felt not with, as much not yeah. not as much as I felt with Kit I think if we are going down this route of a more inexperienced head coach who you know his wants to build a philosophy we need to give him time and I think that's where we need to be realistic with expectations about what we actually expect next year because I think what we're going to see we're going to see a big squad overhaul and that's going to that's going to impact our results early on because it always does. Every season we've had a overhaul of players. We struggle at the start of the season. So I think that's that's pretty much a given that at the start of next season, it's going to take a while for the players to get to know each other and build and grow together, especially as I think it's, you know, it's inevitable that again, we're going to probably end up doing all our business on transfer deadline day, which... No, we're going might... to sign Luke Freeman next week. I've already decided this. This is oh, part of the rules. Yeah. Good. Uh, but yeah, so I think I think we need to we need to be realistic. We need to give him time. And I think, you know, think, thinking about next season, I think we're already the bookies' favourites to go up or be promoted. I wouldn't worry about like that, that too much at this point. Those those things always fly all over the place at the at the start of yeah. the year. We will be up there, absolutely. Yeah. There'll be no doubt that whatever Fulham do this summer, we will be up there with the favourites to get promoted. But that just comes from yeah. being relic you know, even Cardiff and Huddersfield are still up there in the mix and, and, and we've seen how bad Huddersfield were this season. It yeah. doesn't feel like they're gonna be a favourite, but they're still in that mix. Agreed. But the issue is when, you know, that it's set the expectation that we'll do really well next year. That's when the media start 
bigging us up and we've seen it with with Stoke this season exactly the same thing and I think we just need to I guess as a fan base be realistic give them time the same we saw it with someone like Farkwrighter at Norwich who came in as an inexperienced manager with a new sporting director who wanted to implement a new philosophy and way of doing things at the club it took a couple of seasons and I think we need to as long as we're not in any immediate danger of going down from the championship which I think will be very unlikely I think we we need to give this season to, you know, give him the season to start to employ what he wants to do, and then look at pushing on for promotion the season after. Absolutely, how I realistically think. I think that there's something in the fact that even even though Norwich didn't do brilliantly last season, you could tell that something was happening there. You could tell that, you know, that they were building a different type of kind of club that had come before. And you remember the the last time Norwich got promoted, they had Cameron Jerome up front, and you know they were very much a just get the ball in the box and try and do the business kind of thing. And they had, they had a very creative player in, in West Houlihan and Cameron Jerome, and they basically did it by themselves. Now, and then you saw Farker come in and completely clear out the dead wood. It didn't go that well, but they, I remember them taking Chelsea to penalties in the League Cup quarters, I think, last year. They, you know, they went and did a couple of things. That you were like, okay, maybe there's something nice going on. And then they sold their best player. And you were like, oh, that's weird. But they've brought brilliantly. They've, they've and, and, you know, you look at someone like Emmy Buendia who came in there. Uh, to wear that 10 shirt that James Madison vacated. And he came in and was an absolute nobody. No one had heard of him. He came from the Spanish second division, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, from Getafe, but yeah. He but had been out on loan, potentially. Yep. And they, you know, and, and that's the kind of thing. that Stuart Webber there, who is their director of football, is brilliant, but he's also a believer in a statistical-based model that brings in clever players from different countries and mixes that with, you know, some some homegrown talent as well to make a, a success. And I think that if you can look at something like that and that Norwich model and go, I like that, you should be able to then buy into the idea that a statistical model for buying players is a sensible thing. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree. And I think we all, certainly us three, agree with that. And probably a, a large proportion of the Fulham fan base do as well. I think what the only thing you've got to you've got to kind of keep in mind maybe is that Stuart Webber is the kind of person who's done that before. He's he's experienced. He's doing doing things the right way, but he also very much knows what he's doing. I think you know honestly, my personal opinion is in the championship with someone doing that role in you know with a lack of experience like Tony has, just by running your club in the right way and in a fairly smart way, that's enough for you to get promoted up the championship. But it's not enough to actually drive forward and break into the Premier League midfield. We do need, I think we're doing things in the right way, but I do worry about the lack of football knowledge in someone like Tony's role. Um, and that's where maybe you'd want to think about boosting that a bit and hopefully the cons have learned their lesson a bit there because that it does concern me a little bit how we might be bringing you know lots of potential of players in However, it always feels a bit weird when they all try to come together. It doesn't always feel like there's a system. Uh, I get what you're saying. I I do think, though, that on the whole, if you look at the three, there's been three big transfer windows since Tony Khan took over recruitment from Mike Rigg. Uh, The first year after he took over recruitment, we got to the playoff, you know, semis, and we we did end up short, but not by much. The second year we got promoted, and this year has been a bit of a mess, uh, agreed, but we've also had some pretty horrid luck in some regards. You know, Mawson, who was brought in to be the benchmark of that defence, has 
basically missed the entire season. We didn't get that. You know, you could see what they were trying to do by bringing in Mawson and Chambers, who'd been so successful for under-21 level at England. You know, that that was a, a sensible strategy as far as I'm concerned, and that you can't obviously import a whole new defence. But if you had two centre-backs who knew each other's game and could play with each other and had done so before... That did make sense to me. I, I think we lacked a little bit recruitment-wise in in bringing in, you know, a, a, a pure defensive midfielder and, and, and not bringing in and bringing in Angisa instead, who was obviously an eight. That that showed a little bit of naivety, but on the whole, I was you know okay with the transfer window. And I think that the players we brought in who actually had Premier League experience in Mawson, in you know Tim Fosu Mensa, those are the players that are really disappointed. Obviously, Mawson's hasn't been completely his fault. But actually, the one, the one in Angisa, obviously, when he was then put into his proper position, I, I think he's going to be an excellent player. And I fully do believe that if he stays with the club, you know, and, and the player we were all really excited about was John Serry. And he's, you know, been a bit of a letdown in, in many regards. I, I don't think, you know, maybe he got his full chance under under Ranieri and, and probably wasn't played in his best role. But on the whole, like, the majority of those transfers have been okay. You know, it's Andre Scherler, the big names who had Premier League experience, who have actually let us down. It hasn't been the people brought in for a snippet or the people mm. brought in from a from a kind of nowhere that have really let us down. And I think that's the strange thing about the model, because if you look at it like that, it, it's kind of worked. In a roundabout way, yeah, I'd, I'd like to argue your point in the build-up where you said that he's had three very good years where he's produced good transfers. But if you actually think back to that second season... Where the one where we actually got promoted last year, that summer window is not good. There are a lot of players in there who haven't exactly stuck. And he was rescued by some very inspirational, I suppose, signings in in Mitrovic, who hit the ground running, having 12 goals and 17 appearances for us. Matty Target, who was absolutely unbelievable for us at left back, gave us some excellent width, excellent balance, and, and some much needed defensive nous after Scott Malone had uh, graced that left hand side, and we were in such a hole with Sessignon. Yep. A lot of players he had signed in, in that window hadn't d gone down well. I think for me, Tony has a lot of potential, like a lot of our players do, but he needs someone to guide him. And unfortunately, I don't feel like he's in a position where he wants someone else to help him. I think for every single unearthing of someone like Angisa, there is a player like Molo who's equally capable of rocking up to Craven Cottage and not going, the, not not producing the goods that we expect him to. I think if you, but if we touch back on your point, George, earlier about him having a, a working relationship with Scott Parker, mm. uh, and if their relationship is, is close and they can look together to to be building the club in the way that that we want then surely that's a person who has the football nous and the football knowledge. Look, there's there's one thing having Jukanovic, who was very stubborn, very hot-headed in, in many regards and, and often blew his top about lots of things. Whereas if Parker goes in there and goes, look, this is what I need. I'm quite happy to work within the confines of the system, but this is what I need and why. Yeah. Is that not going to build that relationship and that knowledge base further? I think that helps. And I think if you if you look at all the signings that Tony's made in isolation, I think there's a lot of players there who have come in with really good potential. And, you know, Mitrovic is a great example. Angisa is a great example. For me, the issues I've had, we've had it this year with the goalkeeper and we had it last year with right wingers, is that we've ended up buying and stockpiling in certain positions for really bizarre reasons. Like, why, why have we, you know, got so much quality in, in, one area. in one area and really lacking in another. Why do we buy five or six right wingers last season when 
they're all fighting for one spot. And you get a player like Jordan Graham who could have done a really good job but ended up wasting, you know, six months of his career. And that's, for me, that's where the inexperience comes. And that's where, you know, I, I can't believe someone like Slavisa wouldn't have told him that's ridiculous. Why are you buying that many players if he didn't have that route in? So I think whilst, you know, Tony clearly has some, uh, you know, some some decent ability to pick these players out. We need to make sure that we don't make the silly mistakes again going yeah, forward. I think that I think you're absolutely right. You know that we've we have made errors in terms of where we've picked up players, uh, but I do think that that's a part of the experience and part of learning. And, and I do think that Parker having that rapport, as you've seen and as you've said, will help to address that issue in the future. What would really really help is that we establish a network or a working process whereby statistics and scouting are used in equal measure to judge a player. It's all very well. And you know I'm fully... Well, that in. is a two-box system, is it not? You, you know well, George, that I'm fully in support of a statistical model. And I've, I do believe that if you're going to provide yourself with a working and footballing philosophy, that your scouting knowledge should be extensive. And I think one thing that's worrying is that I follow an account on Twitter where... There are clubs all across Europe who post what scouts are at their games. And recently, you have seen a really sharp in decline in Fulham scouts attending games across the continent. And people are suggesting that Fulham don't scout outside the top two leagues here, as well as a handful of leagues in Europe, which is quite concerning. But I do get that scouts work for multiple clubs, etc., etc. But... In order to, for, to fully ingrain a philosophy on a team, you have to have a group of players who can lend themselves to, to multiple different footballing styles and nuances and, and play in different positions and have that flexibility. You saw it with Farker. You get a lot of players in that Norwich squad who are more than capable of playing two positions. You see it in the likes of Man City. You've got players that are flexible, albeit they're on a, a, a totally different playing field to a number of clubs out there in terms of what they can offer in terms of wages and, and, and spends, etc., I do feel like that relationship and that process needs to be much stronger and much more rigid, for want of a better word, than it has been now. Because, you know, it feels like we are signing some players without fully understanding who they are in terms of character, because that also makes up for a huge part of who a player is. I think so. And when you listen to... There's there's different kind of football data consultancies out there who work together with clubs and the point they always make is you know start you know using stats in a way that it's really good at, at a particular thing so when you're looking at you want lots of different data points so let's say you want to find a really good passer in a niche league so let's say league league 2 or something from friend, from France you know finding a really good passer that would mean you'd have to employ so many scouts out there mm. and record and you know spend so much time looking into things and what stats are really great at doing is really quickly identifying something interesting yeah, and identifying completely. that little niche player who might you know have a particular metric which is off the charts is that when you you need to go and explore and actually work out what's what's going on there what's the reason for those metrics being so high and I think we've potentially seen a few times with you know bringing bringing players in where you know it's it's a bit concerning if we're not bringing those scouts out to the guys and doing that you know doing the eye test to make sure that there's a valid reason and there's a positive reason for those metrics being so high and we've seen a few like kind of weird signings of the 
Abu Kamara of the Jallo, you know, who are clearly mm, who are clearly really good in one area yeah. and must bring out a really high metric in one area. Well, but if you one. don't actually go and watch them and get the context behind why they're particularly good in that area yeah. and work out if that actually would be of benefit to your team. Exactly. I, I, much value. I, I think that's my point underlined and, and you've emphasised it more there. You need to properly scout a player to understand what he's going to bring. The, the Jello one, I think from looking at his stats when we signed him, the reason they did sign him was because of aerial jewels. But if you would have looked at him as a scout, you would realise that his distribution is not great and he's really slow and he Actually, gets turned loads. I think I, I do beg to differ. I, I do believe that the reason we signed was him it? was that it was he was a, a ball-playing centre-back in that he was... You can't big. pass it. Well, his his passing rate was, was his passing statistics. But I think that goes to show... Like maybe it's like it's signing, not, but his passing statistics were good. They it's like were signing good when Jordan we signed Graham him. to a twelve-month loan deal because he completed crosses quite well, but couldn't do anything else. Just, I, I mean, look, I'm not telling you right or wrong. What, I, what I'm saying is that that was the reason because we were a ball-playing unit with a philosophy, and we signed him because he was supposed to fit into that. In terms of, yeah. look, it didn't work out. It hasn't worked out, and that's fine. Like sometimes things don't work out. But I, I do believe that it was all part of the same philosophy, that kind of buy into this ball playing 4-3-3 that we were supposed to. And it, it all ties back to when Ranieri came in. We basically abandoned that philosophy. And then a load of these players couldn't play any other way because they were bought in because of that playing philosophy. And I think rotating it back to that with Parker does suggest we should be able to drive more out of the players we've already got, as well as bringing new ones in that fit that system. You hope so. You would hope so. Right, let's get on to some questions, which are sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in all the land. We would recommend you get down there. Still open over the summer, even though there's no games on, so get down to Putney Pies. Well, nice. Right, let's get on to these. David Manning says, who do you think will be our number one and number two goalkeeper next season? George, I'll start with you. Well, I think from um, Sergio Rico's tweet earlier, I think that's him pretty much gone, uh, which is a, a shame. I think he's been a, a really good signing and, and done well for us. Um, I think it's unlikely that Fabry's going to stay, so Betts becomes the probably default first-choice goalkeeper. Um, it it doesn't feel like the priority area to strengthen, especially as we've got someone like Marek Rodak who will be coming back uh, into the system. So to me, that seems like the sensible one-two there. Ben, similarly? Yeah, Betts... Uh, will be the number one, I think, and then probably Rodak and uh, Norman. Will fight their place. Third, yeah. Well, Rodak's been excellent for Rotherham, yeah, and, and their fans are very, very sad to see him go after they, he said that he was not going to be going back there next season. So I assume that means that he's going to be brought into the Fulham setup. So yeah, there's would, some rumours that he's going to be our number two next year. I would agree with that. Right. Liam Ventum, friend of the pod, says, Previously, Sess made a point of coming over to the fans and tapping the badge after every game. However, recently, he hasn't done this as much. Is that a sign he'll be departing in the summer? And if so, is that the right career move? There's been a couple of questions about Sess and whether the, whether his, his departure now is probably the best thing for everyone. Ben, I'll let you start. I don't think football was as cut and dry as I've not tapped the badge anymore, so I'm off. But no. I do... From in terms of is it the right time for Cesc to move on? Obviously, as a Fulham fan, you, you sit there and you say, of course it isn't. He's still 19 years old. There, He could give us another year, uh, get his confidence back and really prove to everyone how good of a player he really is. Um, or what you have to remember from a business point of view, and ultimately Fulham is a business, this is a guy that's in his last year of the contract. 
who's still got one of the biggest potentials as a young English player um, that we've got in any of our setups at the moment. And it would be foolish to let him walk for free next season unless we can get him under contract this season or this summer coming. It doesn't look like, and there are absolutely no rumours coming out or any inkling to suggest that he might sign a new contract. No, that that one doesn't look like it's on the table at this point. So I would likely say that from a business point of view, it's a good thing to capitalise on that big fee we can get for Cess right now. Um, capitalise on that potential. And for Cess, I mean, it depends what club you go to to fully justify this move. But the rumour coming out today and there are some reports that apparently this is nearly a done deal is that he will be off to Tottenham. And if you're Sessegnon you are going to potentially be joining a club that's in the final of Europe's premier competition in the Champions League. You have one of the most influential modern day managers as your head coach who can teach you to play in a, ver- in a, in a variety of positions. You have some world-class players around you. You have England's captain around you. I mean, yes, you've grown up at Fulham, but you have the chance to, to play for one of genuinely the top four clubs in this nation, I think. It, it might just sway him. Yeah, I think so. Is there something in, George, I think that if we do a deal with Spurs, bear in mind that Scott Parker has just returned to us from Spurs. He's got a lot of their youth set up players in his head. Do you think we might see someone coming the other way, if not permanently, at least on loan? Someone, you know, we've seen that academy players from the big clubs have really looked to light up the championship this year. You know, Reese James at Wigan has been an absolute revelation. Yeah, Yeah. Wilson, Mount. We've seen all those players go through and and actually do really good jobs. Do you think in return we might see a couple coming in from the Spurs Academy? I mean, mean, potentially. At this point, it's really hard. If we are thinking of doing the deal this early, it's it's really hard to know at this point what kind of player we'd actually need because at the moment we've got a, a pretty full squad. It's hard to know who's going to be leaving, where our, you know, where our weak points are going to be. I Carl Walker-Peakers could do, come and do a job for us. You that, that's where my, my mind went to first. And, you know, I guess that's a, a, a place where even at the moment we'd probably do do with an upgrade. He seems kind of more of an attacking right back and kind of the, maybe in some ways, a bit of an opposite to Stephen Sess, as we as we mentioned earlier. Um, I think... I think you know. Obviously, it's it would be sad to see um, see Ryan go, um, but I don't think any of us would begrudge it at all. No. It's clear he wanted to play in the Premier League. He did it for a season with Fulham. Um, as long as we get a good amount of money for him, and hopefully, I, I trust the guys at the club to to get a fair a good deal for him. As a long fair as we do. Whack. Sorry. A fair dink and whack. Absolutely. I, yeah. I I think at this point. For me, that's that's the more important thing is getting a, a fair financial reimbursement for him. Um, if we can get a potential youngster on loan um, who could add a bit of energy to the squad, then all the better. Troy Parrott as a backup. Troy Parrott is is the next Robbie Keane. Josh Onoma has dropped off a cliff. Yeah, he's, he's fallen he's off. somewhere. Maybe he might be quite nice to reinvigorate his career. Yeah. Oliver Skip might be quite nice. I think Oliver well. Skip is about to break into the Spurs first team. He's been on the bench for all I the mean, Champions League how games. Can you, how can you come out here and say Carl Walker-Peters? No, because Carl Walker-Peters ridicule is third, me. He's third choice centre uh, right back now behind Aurier and Trippier. Got three assists in one Premier League game. I mate. completely agree Baller. with you and I think he's a very good footballer but he seems to have fallen down the, and Juan Foyth keeps coming on at right back instead of him now. Mm. So that suggests to me that maybe Poch doesn't think he's quite ready for the Premier League at Spurs yet. I think it's because it was Mandembele absolutely 
took his pants down in a new camp. I mean, as, as, as bad rotations go, that one's <laughs> a pretty tricky one. Right, Lawrence Craven, this is a great question. If there was one signing you could undo from this season and redo a signing from the season before, who would it be? So someone that we lost that you would have kept and someone that you we signed that you wouldn't have signed. I mean, Fredericks is probably the... The obvious answer. The obvious answer there. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, there's part of you thinks that Steph Johansson, you know, maybe should have been part of the squad when we really needed some aggression and fight. <laughs> yeah, potentially. I think one one signing I would undo is a German World Cup winner. <laughs> Andre Shirley, yeah. I'd probably un- undo him because I think we could have got much better at that left wing berth had we really focused our attention on it. One player who I'd quite have liked to see him come back is Matty Target. I would have said Fredericks, but I didn't want to copy your answer. But <laughs> Fredericks, after that nightmare start against Liverpool in his first ever game for West Ham, has really started to come on again now. And yeah, I think he's he's had a really good second half of the season um, for West Ham and becoming quite a valuable asset. And I think they're really well, under the tutelage of Pellegrino. Pellegrini? Pellegrino. Pellegrini. 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 He has really developed defensively into a guy that isn't just using his pace to undo all of his mistakes. He's a guy that can now read the game much better than he, he previously could. And I think West Ham are utilising his crossing and pa- his pace abilities quite well. Good. Right, last question. This is from J.E. Harknessil, mm. who says, who's at, in fairness, is quite funny, is Agro Harko. He says, although the season has been very, very ordinary with a lot going wrong, I would have taken ordinary, I think, mate. Uh, this, this has been worse than that. Uh, yeah. What is the one thing you can hang your hat on and say, yes, we did that well? Stop the grade. <laughs> Price, the, yeah. Pricing, out our, own fa- pricing out our own fans. We've done yeah, that well. We've done that well. Yeah. Um, Ryan Babble's been a pretty good for a six-month signing. Yeah, that was a good, yeah, good six-month signing. That's a really signing. good point. Um, I was going to say Riverside, but that's absolutely not happening anytime soon. Well, yeah, I mean, let's talk about this because, you know, the fact is that we still don't know about season ticket prices. There are more and more rumours every day that Fulham are off to Loftus Road. Um, And that terrifies me a bit. But, you know, I think the problem wouldn't be the lack of seats if we close the Riverside stand. I think it would be the fact that there would be a river breeze with no, no, nothing to kind of back it. And it would just end up being maybe the coldest place on earth all through the winter, which doesn't seem like it would suit our sophisticated ball-playing team. No, potentially not. But as I have... I think what a lot of teams do is they put up a big wall or poster or banner for for most of the things or the times where they get stands re... uh, Rebuilt. Rebuilt, yeah. So, yeah, um, I hope that Fulham would do that. I definitely hope we're not off to Loftus Road because I couldn't think of anything worse. Um, maybe that's winning into Toto Cup there. Maybe that's why Tony uh, Sheed can't try to buy Wembley, so we could go there for a year. Yeah, well, I Tottenham. mean, there is also room. There's, you know, there is also a kind of precedent there now that teams can borrow Wembley if they need it, especially a London-based club. I think I'd hate that more than Loftus Road, like far more. I- I'd much rather go to Loftus Road than Wembley, I think. Wembley with 10,000, 15,000 fans in it when we play, you know, Mansfield in the League Cup is going to be the worst place on earth. Yeah, it would be quite a quite a strange atmosphere, wouldn't it? I think the, the weird thing is, so clearly, clearly they're linked, right? So the lack of news about Riverside 
is linked to the lack of news about season tickets. Absolutely. And I think what what's really confusing me is how the the club keep pushing this Fulham till I die hashtag. Keep pushing it. Every day there's been more and more stuff. They've had that video by Keith Allen, of which I'm in, just to just to say I that. I did say you you have popped up in it. Yeah, I did that pop up. That was a strange one. Keith Allen is obviously a Fulham fan, but no one's seen him in ages. No, no. one's seen him at Fulham in, in forever. Yeah. Definitely not his uh, traitor daughter either. No. He's gone off to Chelsea. Um, I, yeah, it, it feels to me like they're building up to something. But at the, this point, I just can't see like what, I guess, kind of positive news they're building up. Like it, it would be really surprising if they came out in the next couple of days and said that Riverside was going ahead next season. And I think the concern we have at this point is that it's not, or if it is, that means a temporary relocation. I don't know. It, it feels like they're building up to something. And my concern is what they're building up to isn't going to go down well with fans. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe the next bit of Full Until I Die is wherever we are. Uh, and you're like, it's, it's one of those. But it does does worry. I mean, there's nothing concrete. Let's, let's make that clear. We, these are very much rumours. And I, I, I can't tell you that I've heard where they've come from. So, you know, they could just be people speculating the worst. But there is something funny that there are only two clubs in the Football League that have not announced next year's season ticket prices. And those are us and the seemingly doomed Bolton Wanderers, um, which does suggest to me that something is afoot. Right, this has been quite long. Let's kill the podcast. Um, We are almost done. Ben, do you want to name this one for me? Thank God it's all over. Thank God it's all over. Thank you very much for listening as ever. I've been Jack Collins. I've been joined by Ben Jarman. Thank you very much. Thank you to George Singer also. Cheers, Jack. It's been a real pleasure, unlike this season. Fulhamish will continue for a couple more weeks. We've got to do a season wrap, which is going to be a barrel of laughs, you imagine. Um, But there'll be plenty of stuff over the summer from us, and we will come back with renewed vigour, positive attitudes, and a better season, hopefully, next year. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.